more you have. You are now tuned in to Hawkins Ways. You just sat back and let play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. What's going on, Star Wars family? How is everyone doing today? Nothing new on my side of the galaxy, you know, just same old stuff. So today we're going to be covering chapter nine, and there's a lot going on in this chapter. But before we get started, we got to cover the quote for this week. And it comes from the great Pablo Picasso. He said, everything you can imagine is real. Well, think about that. If George wouldn't have never used his imagination, we would have never had Star Wars. And Star Wars has changed the whole world. That's deep if you think about it. One man's vision sparked a phenomenon. It became a reality. The day I saw my first Star Wars movie was like, wow. Then my first book changed my life forever. And I hope the books that we cover on this show change your lives, or at least make your day better. I know as we cover them, it makes me feel better. I really enjoy spending time going over the books with you. Every show is like a whole new adventure, which brings us to chapter nine of Revan. So without wasting any more time, let's get to it. Revan stared at the flickering topographic map of Reykjavik on the Ebon Hawk's navigation screens. The glacier-covered world had never been settled. No cities or villages dotted the screen. The scans revealed nothing but a frozen wasteland of ice and snow, stretching off for hundreds of kilometers in every direction. According to Candorus, the Mandalorians had set up a temporary landing field somewhere on the planet's surface. The clans that had gathered on Rakiat worked together to maintain and protect the vessels there. It was effectively neutral ground. Outside the landing field, however, each clan laid claim to its own territory, a claim they were willing to fight to defend. Neither Revan nor Candorus thought it was wise to take the Ebon Hawk to the communal landing strip. Outsiders weren't welcome among the Mandalorians. Candorus figured they'd have better luck dealing directly with Clan Ordo, his own people. The original plan was to land within walking distance of Clan Ordo's base camp and approach on foot. Using spaceports was rarely a preferred option for the kind of smugglers and miscreants who owned the Ebon Hawk throughout its history, and many had installed customized upgrades to allow the ship to land in less than ideal conditions. But Revan doubted they had ever intended to visit a world as inhospitable as Rekiat, and he was starting to have second thoughts. Gale force winds hammered the ship's hull, causing it to buck and lurch, and a blizzard of swirling snow and ice limited the range of the Hawk's sensors. To get close enough for the topographic scan, Revan had to bring them in only a few hundred meters above the surface of the world. Close enough that one wrong move could send them crashing into the surface. T3 beeped anxiously at Revan's side, crowding the pilot's chair as Revan fought to keep the ship level. Get Candorus up here, Revan barked. Tell him to check those grid coordinates again. The little astromech droid spun around and sped off in search of the third member of their crew. A gust of wind caused the ship to veer down and to the left. The safety restraints bit into Revan's flesh as he jammed the throttle forward and yanked back on the stick, pulling the ship up out of a steep dive moments before it hit the ground. The ship veered off course, and suddenly a massive glacier jutting up from the planet's frozen surface materialized on the nav display. Revan banked hard to avoid plowing into the wall of ice, but even the lightning-fast reactions of a Jedi couldn't entirely overcome the hawk's momentum. The 
ship was spared a direct hit, but its underside clipped a sharp outcropping of ice. The impact sent the hawk into a spiraling, twisting roll. Revan wrenched the stick from side to side, fighting for control. Using the force, he was able to anticipate and react to the erratic flight with instantaneous precision adjustments, keeping the ship aloft until it regained its equilibrium. An immediate crisis averted. Revan took the hawk up to a safer altitude and set the autopilot. Then he slumped in his chair and let out a long, low sigh. After a few seconds, he straightened up, readjusted his restraint belts, and checked the instrument panel. A blinking red warning light confirmed his fears. The impact with the glacier had damaged the landing gear. Revan muttered a curse under his breath, just as a much louder string of profanity came from Candorus staggering into the cockpit. T3 rolled in after him, beeping indignantly. You trying to smash us into Greepolt back there? Candorus grumbled, plopping down into the co-pilot seat. I thought you knew how to fly this rusty slag heap. I thought you said Clan Ordo had set up camp somewhere on this frozen rock. Revan shot back. Couldn't see a blasted thing on those great coordinates you gave me. Maybe they moved to another location, Candorus said with a shrug. Can't have gone too far, though. Not in these conditions. Do a ground scan of the area and they'll probably turn up. That's what I was doing, Revan replied through gritted teeth. Turns out it's a good way to get up close and personal with a glacier. Candorus glanced over at the warning light. That why that red light's blinking? The landing gear got smashed up when we clipped the glacier. You couldn't just fly around it? Revan rolled his eyes. Go down for another look. Candorus advised after a few moments of strained silence. Clan Ordo's gonna be close by. Even if we find them, then what? You really expect me to bring the ship in on a busted landing gear? You're a smart guy, Candorus answered, shifting to get comfortable in his seat. You'll think of something. There wasn't much point in continuing the argument, so Revan let it drop. Yet he couldn't help but wonder at the recent change he'd noticed in Candorus. As long as he'd known the Mandalorian, he'd sensed an underlying tension in him. Like a soldier in enemy territory, he was always ready for a fight. As a Mandalorian, he was never fully accepted by those in the Republic, and he knew it. Now, however, he seemed different. He was still gruff and taciturn, but ever since they'd left Coruscant, he'd been less grim, more relaxed. He was eager to be back among his own people. And he wasn't about to let a few minor setbacks like a missing camp or damaged landing gear stop him. To be fair, Revan had no intention of abandoning their quest either. There was too much at stake to turn back. Which meant Candorus was right. The only real option was to keep looking for Clan Ordo's camp and hope they got lucky. Revan brought the hawk in low again, but this time he throttled it back to half speed. The swirling winds still made for a rough ride. But at least he'd have more time to react if something went wrong. We love bringing you more Star Wars. And it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. See if you can do something to give our sensors a boost, he said to T3. The little 
Master might chirp with pleasure, and it extended a small probe from a panel in his side to interface directly with the Hawk's systems. While T3 worked, Revan began a standard search pattern with the original coordinates for the camp at the center. Taking the Hawk around in ever-widening circles, he spiraled outward, letting the sensors scan the ground for signs of life. Suddenly, T3 began beeping excitedly. Candorous leaned forward to look at the scanner's display. I think your droid's got some rust on the brain, he said. I don't see anything. Revan knew better than to doubt the little astromech. Can you enhance the image? He asked T3. T3 responded with a low whistle, and a second later, a static-filled thermal image appeared on the screen. The details were difficult to make out, but it appeared to be a small collection of tents and temporary shelters built against the leeward side of a small mountain of ice and snow. Could be them, Candorous admitted, reaching out one of his massive hands to give T3 a friendly pat on the head. The droid squawked in indignant protest, and he quickly pulled his hand back. Doesn't look like there's a landing strip at the camp, Revan noted. See any place for us to touch down? The display zoomed out as T3 adjusted the Hawk scanners to pan rapidly back and forth across the snow. A few seconds later, they zoomed in again. Perfect, Revan said with a smile. Nice work, T3. Uh, it's not a landing strip. Candorous cautioned. It's a giant snowdrift. With the landing gear shot, we're going to need something to cushion the blow when we hit the ground. You really think this will work? Sure, Revan replied. But you'd better strap yourself in just in case. Candorous scrambled to lock in his safety belt as Revan sent the hawk into its descent. T3 scooted across the cockpit to the metal braces anchored to the floor and locked his wheels in with a metallic thunk. Fighting wind and gravity, Revan struggled to keep the damaged ship level as he took it down. Seconds before they touched ground, a blast of wind grabbed the Ebon Hawk and pitched it hard to starboard. Revan jammed the stick to port, desperately trying to keep the ship from flipping over. It slammed into the snowbank at a 45-degree angle, carving a 50-meter-long trench in the powder before finally coming to rest. Looking through the small cockpit window, Revan could see nothing but blue-white flakes. The entire front half of the ship was buried in the drift. But the sensors indicated that, apart from the already damaged landing gear, the Hawk had survived relatively unscathed. More important, so had its passengers. Revan carefully unbuckled his safety belt, knowing he would have bruises where the straps had dug into him during the collision. Beside him, Candorus was doing the same. T3 simply unlocked his wheels from the braces and rolled free. I guess sometimes it's not so bad being a droid, Candorus groaned as he stood up, rubbing his right shoulder with his left hand. You mean like when you're marching through a blizzard? Revan asked. This snow drifts at least five kilometers from the campsite. Candorus only grunted in reply. While the big Mandalorian gathered the gear and supplies for their trek from the cargo hold, Revan and T3 ran diagnostics on the Hawk to determine the full extent of the damage. Doesn't look too bad, Revan commented when they were done. Think you can fix it up while we head off to the camp? T3 beeped twice. It's going to be hard for you to keep up out there in the snow, Revan reminded him. Besides, someone has to stay and guard the ship. The astromech reluctantly whistled his consent. You get started on repairs. I'll go give Candorus a hand. 
It took them almost an hour before they were ready to venture out into the frigid wasteland. They were bundled up head to toe in thick winter garb, snow pants, hooded jackets, scarves, goggles, heavy boots, and fur-lined gloves, all of it white to provide camouflage in case they ran into trouble. Kenderis had armed himself with a heavy repeating blaster carbine. He offered a similar weapon to Revan, but the Jedi shook his head. You don't want to be swinging that lightsaber around when we get to the camp, Kenderis said. Jedi aren't too popular out here. Revan frowned, then nodded. He knew Kenderis had a point, but he didn't relish the idea of lugging the massive gun along. He picked up a pair of blaster pistols. I'll get by with these, he said, sliding them into the straps on either hip. Suit yourself, Kenderis said with a shrug. Then he added, When we get to the camp, let me do the talking. Remember, these are my people. I can live with that. Revan said, hitting the switch to lower the cargo hold's loading ramp. But if we're going to get there before dark, we'd better get moving. They maneuvered the hover sled they had loaded up with supplies down the ramp and out into the raging blizzard. The howling wind threatened to knock them off their feet and made conversation almost impossible. The swirling snow almost blinded them. But Revan had entered the camp's coordinates on a portable locator to keep them on track, and he used hand gestures to communicate their route to Candorus. The heavy layers of clothing made the sub-zero conditions bearable. The hard labor of trudging through the snow over uneven terrain helped warm them up, too. After almost two hours of slow progress, Revan saw the dim outline of a small mountain ahead of them. He signaled to Candorus, indicating that the camp was on the other side. The Mandalorian nodded and signaled back that they needed to step up the pace. Revan nodded his agreement. The light around them was fading as Rekiad's sun, invisible through the storm, slowly set. The last thing they needed was to have to press on in total darkness. As they skirted the base of the mountain and reached the leeward side, the wind died to almost nothing. It wasn't long before they could see the soft glow of lights from the camp. Gradually, more details of the camp came into view. There were roughly a dozen small tents set up only a few meters away from a sheer wall of ice at the mountain's base. Set away from the tents was a roughly constructed shack. Revan noticed a pair of generators hooked up to it, no doubt to provide power and heat, and he guessed it doubled as a meeting room and a supply center for any stores that would suffer if left out in the cold. Several sleds were scattered among the tents, some laden with supplies, others empty. On the far side of the camp were four large tarp-covered mounds. Revan's heart sank. As part of the terms of the surrender, he'd ordered the Mandalorians to disassemble their infamous basilisk war droids, great metal beasts the Mandalorians often rode into combat. Judging by the size of the covered objects, and by whatever hints of shape weren't obscured by the tarps, some of the defeated had chosen to ignore his decree. So this chapter starts off with Revan and Candorus trying to find Clan Ordo on Rekia. Now this planet is covered in snow, so scanning for the base is a little bit more difficult than Revan thought it would be. During a pass, Revan clips a glacier messing up the landing gear. Candorus comes up to the cockpit to find out what's happening, what's going on, what's, why is the ship rattling and shaking the way that it is. Revan informs him that he hit the glacier and the landing gear is messed up, so it's going to be kind of hard for them to land the ship. Candorus tells him, hey, come on, Revan, you're a crafty guy. You'll figure something out. They go back and forth a little bit, so they're trying to find somewhere soft to land. Uh... They're on a planet full of snow, it's all soft. Revan finally finds a spot that he likes, a snowdrift. After somewhat of a landing, the two of them start getting ready to head out. 
T3 wants to come, but Revan tells him it's going to be too hard for him to maneuver in the snow. So they leave him to fix the ship. They completely cover themselves in white snow gear to blend in as they hit the snow for their five kilometer journey to get to Clan Oro's base. Five kilometers is super duper far to walk in the snow. It's going to take them forever. But that's where we're at, so let's get to the next part. One more step and we paint the snow with your brains. A voice shouted out. Four sentries rose up into view from behind the drifts, two on either side of Revan and Candrus. Dressed in heavy cold-weather clothes of mostly blues, golds, and browns, they were armed with blaster rifles, which they had carefully trained on the interlopers. Lay your weapons down and identify yourselves. The speaker, a male, was the sentry closest to Revan on his left. Out of the corner of his eye, the Jedi could see that Candorus was holding his ground, careful to avoid any sudden movement, but not making any effort to obey the order. Revan decided the smart thing to do would be to follow his lead. My name is Candorus of Clan Ordo, the big man shouted, and I don't lay down my weapons for anyone. From the stunned silence, it was clear his name had gotten their attention. How do we know you are really Candorus? One of the other sentries demanded. This was also a man's voice, deeper than the first. Well, Edric, Candorus replied, I could punch you in the face until I straightened out that crooked beak of yours, but we'd probably all freeze to death before I finished. The sentry barked out a laugh, slung his gun over his shoulder, threw his arms wide, and ran to enclose Candorus in a fierce hug. Ha ha ha! It's good to see you again, brother! He shouted. Revan was relieved to see that the other sentries had also lowered their weapons. They came forward to form a tight circle around Candrus as they clasped his hands, slapped him on the back, and offered loud traditional greetings in Mandoa. After a few minutes, the one Candrus called Edric spoke up again. Let's get you and your friend out of the cold, he said in basic. Leave your sled. We'll have someone else come get it. The other three sentries stayed at their post as Edric led Revan and Candorus through the camp toward the supply shack in the center. As they passed the tents, heads poked out to see what was happening. Shortly, a small crowd had grown in the newcomer's wake. Revan could hear a buzz of excitement building, but his mandua was too rusty, and he couldn't pick out what was being said. At the door of the building, Edric stamped his boots clear of snow before going inside. His guests did the same. The first thing Revan noticed was the warmth. His goggles fogged up, and he was only too happy to remove them to get a better view of the surroundings. As he had suspected, the shack served as both supply hut and meeting room. There were seven or eight Mandalorians already inside the building, lounging among the crates and packages, using them as makeshift furniture. In one corner was a massive pile of coats, scarves, and gloves. Edric was already stripping off his cold-weather gear and tossing it on the pile. Revan quickly and gratefully followed suit. Candorus didn't have a chance to do the same. The instant he removed his goggles and unzipped his hood to expose his face, he was swarmed. Another round of traditional Mandua greetings rose up from the well-wishers, and Revan couldn't help but notice the pure joy on his friend's face as he was reunited with the other members of his clan. One of the things Revan had always admired about the Mandalorians, even as he'd fought them, was their loyalty. The ties that held a clan together went beyond friendship and even family. It was an essential part of the culture, ingrained in children from the day they were born or adopted into the clan. 
not wanting to detract from the moment, he stood a respectful distance away. He was just beginning to wonder how much longer the celebratory reception would continue when the door swung open and a tall, broad-shouldered figure forced its way into the room. The door slammed shut and everything went silent. Nobody spoke as the figure peeled away the layers of clothing, revealing the face of an attractive woman. She had olive skin, and her straight, shoulder-length black hair was streaked with purple and red highlights. Her high, sharp cheekbones were tattooed with intricate blue swirls. Her eyes were also blue, but so pale they looked like shards of ice. Unlike everyone else they'd come across, she didn't rush over to greet Candorus. Instead... She glared at him without saying a word. Sukuigal, Kanderis, she finally said. It was a common Mandalorian greeting, but something about the way she said it made Revan think the literal translation of the words, so you're still alive, was closer to her true intent. Sukuigal, Vila, he replied softly. She took a step toward him, then snapped her head to the side to stare at Revan. She was tall enough to look him in the eye. Without looking back at Candorus, she asked him in Mandoa, Do you want me to speak basic so the outsider can understand us? I understand well enough, Revan replied in her native tongue. Vila arched her eyebrow in mild surprise, then turned her attention back to Candorus. What are you doing here? Is that any way to greet a clan, brother? Candorus asked. Are you still my clan brother? You left us after the war. You deserted clan order to become a mercenary. There was no clan order after the war. Candorus snapped back at her. Tigris was dead. We had no leader. We were scattered, broken, defeated. I wasn't the one who left. We heard you were working for the Jedi, Vila said, her voice low and hateful. In the silence that followed, the sentry called Edric spoke up. Sinvatin, he said, and there was a general murmur of agreement from the others in the room. The literal translation of the phrase was, driven snow, appropriate given the conditions outside, but Revan knew the true meaning of the phrase was closer to, the past is in the past. The Mandalorians believed that once you took up arms and armor of the clan, your past was irrelevant. Edric was saying that whatever Candorus had done over the past few years was irrelevant now that he had returned. From Vila's expression, it was difficult to tell if she agreed with him. But she let the matter of Candorus's past drop. I'm the leader of this clan now, she insisted. I still have a right to know why you're here. To help clan Ordo find Mandalore's mask. Vila tilted her head to the side as if getting a different angle might help her see whether Candorus was being completely honest with her. And what about this outsider? She asked, pointing to Revan. He's my friend. My brother. He will help us in our search. Do you have a name, outsider? Vila asked. His name is Avner, Candorus said, cutting Revan off. He's a mercenary. We met while I was working for Devic Kang. You can't speak for yourself? She asked, still focused on Revan. I thought you understood Mandoa. Am I going too fast for you? I understand, Revan answered. 
You speak well. There was a gasp from the crowd, followed by the sound of stifled, nervous laughter. Revan knew full well the insult he had given. The Mandalorians were warriors. They had nothing but contempt for diplomats and politicians. They valued actions over words, and he just implied that Vila was all talk. Brother Kendra is vouched for you, so you can stay, Vila said through clenched teeth. But if you betray us, I'll kill you. If your weakness causes one of my people to get hurt, I'll kill you. If you slow us down, I'll kill you. Is that clear? Wait, what was the second one again? Maybe I should write this down. There was another round of stifled laughter. Vila pretended not to hear it as she turned back to Candorus. Welcome home, brother, she said flatly. She grabbed her winter gear, quickly threw it back on, and left without saying another word. Once she was gone, the others in the room seemed to relax. Revan motioned to Candorus, calling him over to join him in the corner before he was swallowed up in a crowd of old friends. Avner, he whispered in basic. That's the best name you could come up with? What's wrong with Avner? You just rearranged the letters in Revan. Relax. Nobody out here is going to... Candorus stopped abruptly as he noticed Edric ambling toward them. Don't judge Vila too harshly, the sentry said, misinterpreting their hushed dialogue. She's a good leader, but she has a temper. He looked at Revan. You should remember that next time you provoke her. I just got caught in the middle, Revan protested. Candorus is the one she's really mad at. I get the sense you two have a history. You could say that, the big man admitted. She's my wife. So this part starts off with us getting to meet some new characters. After Revan and Candorus finally get to the camp, we meet one of Candorus's oldest friend, Adrix. After a quick exchange of words, they go into a shelter where a woman named Vila walks in and starts to question the two of them. She asks Candorus, what is he doing there? Candorus replies they are there to help Clan Ordo find Mandalore's mask. She then asks if she needs to speak in basic so Revan can understand. Revan says in Mandoa he can understand her fine. Vila asks Candorus who Revan was. Candorus tells Vila that Revan's name is Avner. He is a mercenary that is now Candorus's brother in a killer mercenary type of form. Then she tells Revan that if he does anything wrong, she will kill him. Even though she has threatened him, Revan still throws out some insults as they talk. Then she gets up and leaves. Revan asks Candorus why he told her his name was Avner. He says, you just switched the letters of my name around. Candorus laughed and said, they ain't going no out here. Then Revan asked Candorus what the history between Vila and him was. He said he kind of felt something was going on. Candorus tells Revan that Vila is his wife. And that's where the chapter ends. So until next time, remember, keep your eyes on the sky. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel, sound designed by Theodore Thompson, researched by Tammy Turner. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.